Hey everybody, it's Matt. Before we jump into the show today, I have a major announcement. The Investigator's Toolbox app is live. That's right, you can access this amazing website from your phone. We have versions available on iOS and on Android. All you have to do is visit the App Store and download and get started today. If you're a member of the community already, I encourage you to go in and download a version and uh, get logged in and you can access everything right from your phone. If you're not a member, go check it out, www investigators-toolbox.com or you can go to the app store investigators toolbox hope to see you in the community soon cross tracks case management system that is what we are talking about today are you using a case management system what are you waiting for if you don't use a case management system you really need to look into implementing that into your business regimen I've been at it with Crosstracks now a little over a year, and it's just been a game changer for my business. They are SOC 2 certified, SOC 2 Type 2 certified. If you don't know what that means, it means that their encryption system is second to none. And you have to go through a whole screening process to figure out uh, if you can even qualify for that, and they have. So you know with certainty your data is being protected. I don't think there's another case management system out there that offers that same ability to have the SOC 2 Type 2 certification. As you guys know, I've been uh, you know singing the praises of Crosstracks, and uh, I really believe in this product, and I believe you should check it out. Contact Brad, contact Pat, uh, one of the team members over there, and see if it's right for you. Crosstracks case management system, check it out today. SecureFBIDirectory.com is a global network of former FBI special agents who are active in the private investigation, security, and consulting fields. The Secure FBI Directory is the only directory in both print and digital formats founded by FBI special agents for FBI special agents. Special agents know firsthand how invaluable a directory is when looking for a professional located in a particular geographical area with a specific specialty. The Secure FBI Directory covers all continents except Antarctica and features over 80 specialties. If you are a former special agent now conducting private investigations or serving as consultants or security experts, go to SecureFBIDirectory.com to join this elite group of SA and become listed in its global directory. SecureFBIDirectory.com Welcome to PI Perspectives. Jane Mason from Secure Investigation joins us to discuss a delicate topic, sexual assault investigations and evidence collection. Now, Jane had a long career with the FBI and did a significant amount of evidence collection. Today, we're going to discuss some of her tips and techniques, so listen up. Please welcome Jane Mason and your host, private investigator Matt Spare. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of PI Perspectives. This is your host, Matt Spare. Today, we have a special show. I have a, a friend of mine, someone I've known for a couple of years, who is actually a former FBI agent. And today, we're going to be talking about sexual assault and investigations. So, Jane Mason, I want to welcome you to the program. How are you? Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. I know you and I have known each other for uh, for quite a bit. I think we probably first met maybe at Osmosis, of all places. I kept seeing you at, at different events. Or actually, you know what? I'm sorry. We met at a spy dinner. Gil Alba, I think, had brought you uh, and said, hey, come here. You got to meet my friend Jane, right? And here we are. Uh, terrible Gil Alba impression, but... Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a very good impression. Gil <laughs> Alba and Luzaneri, yeah. both a oh, spy we, at the time. Yep, and yes. that's exactly where we met. And then yeah. the next time we met was at, at Osmosis. Osmosis and again. 
around that time, I think you were starting your podcast. I was, yeah. I remember you talking about it. Yeah, yeah. So you are a former special agent for the FBI. Uh, tell me a little bit about your career and how you got into doing uh, private investigation. So I wanted to be a special agent with the FBI since I was 12 years old. And so that story has to do with J. Edgar Hoover going back a few decades wow. now. But when he passed away in 1972, all of a sudden uh, the law was enacted that allowed females to apply to the FBI as special agents. And so, you know, I was looking at these articles and I just said, that's the fit for me. I mean, I was 12, but I, I knew. And so I called the Boston FBI office when I was 12 years old. And I said, you know, <laughs> what, what, what do I need to do? So and awesome. at that time, I mean, they still want lawyers and accountants, but you know, now they, they need a broad range of uh, backgrounds in their yeah. applicants. But yeah. at the time, those were the two focuses. Um, that's awesome. And, you know, they call it a second career. So, yeah. you know, they want people who have some experience. So, you can't uh, really get in as an agent until you're 26 years old. Right. So it was accounting or a lawyer and accounting was, you know, a lot fewer years in college. So I said, okay, I'll be an accountant. Yeah. So I did that and eventually applied and got into be an FBI agent. And I loved it. I mean, every single day was the, a wonderful day. It was the greatest career. Right. The whole time I was there for 28 years, I focused on white collar crime, complex investigations. And for about 18 years, I was on the evidence response team, which is a team that does local, state, national, international crime scenes. And we collect forensic evidence, you know, package label and sure. collect it properly. And then, you know, it's in a condition where the chain of custody is perfect. And it's also packaged to right. go to a crime lab or FBI lab or wherever its destination yeah. is. I, uh, I can appreciate that. I had um, at John Jay College when I was a student there, I had a forensic science class and I had this one professor you know, that, uh, I submitted my, uh, my assignment and all that. And she gave me like, uh, I guess she gave me like a B or something. And she's, you know, she wrote on it. It would have been an A had you, you know, sealed things properly. Like I, I didn't put enough tape or I didn't do something like the right way, or I didn't put my initials over it, something. And I was like, I'm never going to do that again. Like, I'm never not going to do it. Like I was so angry. And to this day, I'll go out and collect evidence where it's not even really that super important on personal injury cases. I mean, it is, but it's not really. I think the last time I did it was a tree that fell down and, and struck a car. I found the tree and we needed to take pieces of it and bag it so a, a, an arborist can look at it. So I'm like sealing it up and doing all that. And I bring it to the attorney and goes, what, what is all this? I'm like, it's protecting the chain of custody, man. Like, that's what you got to do. So yeah, it was very was, was upset. Was it a piece that was like, the tree was dime sized, but by no. the time you got it to the yeah. attorney, it was like the size yeah. of a filing no, cabinet, right? No, this was a big, uh, this was a big thing. I, I, I found a big chunk of that thing and it was sitting in the back of my car, you know, in a, in a big black, black plastic bag all sealed up for a bit. Um, yep, never make that mistake again. So that turned out into a multi, multi-million dollar case. So he was very happy it all worked out. Oh, they they recently just settled that case. Yeah. So yeah. And then the, the 12-year-old thing that you're saying, I can relate to that because for me, it was NASA, right? I, I was obsessed oh. with being an astronaut and I, I had my letters out to them and all this other stuff. In fact, I was, uh, you know, 13, I think 12 or 13 when, when the Challenger happened. In my school, yeah. we, we were supposed to have a direct satellite feed to to the Challenger, right? We were one of the the schools that got selected to do the um, virtual classroom, right? So they had this big, huge contest, 
and I won. I was like one of the, the six people that got chose to, to be a part of it. And just watching that happen <laughs> live was absolutely yeah. crazy. And there's a really great documentary actually on Netflix about it. Definitely uh, recommend it. But yeah, it was a What's game the name of it? Uh, I don't know. Something with the challenger. <laughs> I forget. Something about the challenger. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm unprepared on that. <laughs> Usually I'm pretty oh, good, but, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's something about the challenger. Uh, but, uh, have you been, uh, paying attention to everything going on on Mars this week? It's yeah, pretty fascinating. Yeah. It's yeah, pretty cool. Very cool stuff. And as we're recording this today, actually SpaceX just went up this morning uh, down in Florida. So there were some nice. cool photos. I heard. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so that so was, cool. was your goal to go up in space on a SpaceX ship? Something, right? But it, that's not yeah. happening. <laughs> so <laughs> I have too many mouths to feed. I won't be doing anything dangerous <laughs> like that. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it, it, it was cool. So I, I appreciate, you know, you being of a certain age and wanting to do something because uh, I, yeah. I was kind of the same way. Um, yeah. I mean, it's one of the, I guess not the reason I went into investigations, but it was the whole thing with history was always very interesting to me. And the idea of, you know, law enforcement was appealing to me. Now I hit that age in high school and, and college in the nineties, um, early nineties, when it was very hard to get a job if you didn't know somebody, you know, there were just a lot of procedures, necessary procedures in place to make sure it was fair for everybody. I didn't meet those qualifications, right? So I, I was scoring in the high nineties on tests and I wasn't even getting interviews. Right. So everything happens for a reason. Absolutely. But, I mean, uh, look at you now. It, yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> I want <to> nothing. <laughs> Can I be an astronaut? <laughs> so, um, it, it's interesting. You chose the math route over the law route. Uh, I probably would have done the opposite. <laughs> I hate numbers. <laughs> well, you know, now I wish I had my law degree, so yeah. <laughs> I might go back to law school, but, right. uh, at the time it was like a loved law and, I mean, I loved math and I did not necessarily want to go to college for sure. that many years. Yeah. So it's, it was a no brainer to me at the time. The path of least resistance. Good for you. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so can you talk about like uh, any, any of the cases you worked on? I mean, I don't need names or anything like that, but maybe some of the um, instances where, you know, the evidence was um, you know, something that you didn't expect going in that you had to collect and you were a little nervous about maybe. Well, I have a, I have a really cool story about, sort of something unique that okay. might sound a little bit different. So it was uh, 2011. And if you remember, there was a period of time where Somali pirates were hijacking boats of all sizes. Yeah, sure. So at the time I'm on the evidence response team and the FBI office in New York, where I was at the time where I was assigned, got a request from NCIS to help them execute a search on a motor tanker named the Smyrny, mm. which had been hijacked a year prior to the to the call for help. Okay. So two of us from the evidence response team volunteered to go and the boat was um, moored right off the coast of Oman at mm. the time. So we flew to Salala, Oman and met the NCIS people. And so what had been happening up what led up to the NCIS request was there were negotiations going on between the pirates who had the ship and a lot of hostages. I think there were 26 people on board wow. who were hostages. Wow. And um, so the owner of the ship and the pirates had been in negotiation and they were just about to settle negotiations and finalize. And that's when we got called. Mm -hmm. So it was a long trip. By the time we get there, 
negotiations had fallen through completely. But now we're, you know, 24 hour trip away from the United States. So NCIS asked us to stay. Hopefully negotiations would work out. So we stayed in this, you know, incredibly beautiful seaside resort for a little under a week before negotiations finally did work out. So then we took a you know, once once it was done and the ransom was paid, it was a multi-million dollar ransom. Right. We took a boat out to the tanker and we boarded the tanker. We had specialists with us so that they could um, make sure that the hostages were okay and get them the right resources and, and advocacy that they needed. So right. that was sort of one aspect of it. But then the rest of us were there for the evidence. So we went through this enormous, uh, you know, oil tanker. Um it was still filled with oil and uh, you know, the pirates had been living there for a year and wow. they weren't really all that concerned with personal hygiene. <laughs> <laughs> like they weren't that. swabbing the deck, huh? <laughs> <laughs> they were not swabbing the deck. <laughs> That's amazing. So there's also <clears throat> Somalians, uh, you know, I, I think a vast majority of the population, they've been affected by COVID for this, but they, yeah. they have a leaf called, cat it's spelled k-h-a-t and um they they're heavy users of this and it's a leaf that you chew and it's a stimulant yeah so so the pirates got daily um shipments of cat Mm -hmm. and chewed it and there were several pirates using this so but a year later there's like carpeting there's not one inch of of floor that doesn't have at least you know three so or four inches of these that's old a, a, leaves a, a dna uh, dream for somebody oh, <laughs> oh you know <laughs> so um that just was another element that made it wow. sort of different and interesting so we we searched the uh vessel everything went to ncis because they were the lead agency on on that so they took the evidence at the end of the day right um, and sadly, I don't think anything, anyone was prosecuted on that case. I did a uh, little research to see, you know, prosecution of these kinds of cases. There weren't any Americans involved in that particular right. case. Um, but if you remember, I think it's called, uh, Captain Phillips. Yeah, Captain Tom Phillips. Hanks. yeah I'm the captain now. Yep. Yep. That. And then there was a sailboat that got hijacked with the two couples. They were mm-hmm. missionaries handing yes. out, uh, Bibles. Yes. So that was. There was another case yeah, that involved Americans. I remember that. Yep. Yeah. Um, that's crazy. That's uh, very, uh, very interesting to be involved in all that. Did you slip them any notes that said, hey, uh, wait another few days before we start negotiating? Like this, this resort's very nice. <laughs> I got to even my tan. <laughs> it was a beautiful beach. I'll say I'm, that. I'm not ready yet. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. So, so what was it like being over there um, representing the United States? Uh, did you have to wear like a headdress and all that? Or was it a hardcore over there or was it a little more laid back? So in Oman, where we were in Oman, we didn't have to wear a headdress. Um, I've also been deployed to Saudi Arabia and there, mm-hmm. yeah, that was much uh, more strict. We, if we left the, we were on the air base and if we left the base, we had to have, you know, the entire, entire body covered. Right. Plus we couldn't have any religious um, symbols. So oh, yeah. like if we had a cross, we couldn't, we didn't, we couldn't even bring that in country. So, so but that time <clears throat> of year or that time, well, not that time, but I guess in the early nineties, um, my best friend was doing political studies through his school and he was, he was Jewish. Right. And he's like, Oh, I'm going to Israel. I was like, great. So he calls me when he's there. 
he's like, I think the name of the city was Ramallah or something. He goes, Hey, uh, I just want to let you know, like, it's crazy here. Like they're burning tires, they're riding, they're doing all that. He's like, I got it. I got to get rid of my Jewish star. Like I got to put it somewhere. Cause it's like super dangerous. I was like, do whatever you got to do, man. <laughs> really yeah. nuts. Whatever you have to do for safety, right? Yeah. His last name was Schwartz. So he had to, he had to change his name. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's okay. It's kind of dead <laughs> giveaway. <it> <laughs> but uh, I'm sorry. I just, you, you reminded me of, of that. Um, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, that's, that's really cool. Very interesting. I mean, I, I see uh, a lot of what you have done in your career with the FBI translating into what you're doing now, essentially the, the passion for helping people that, uh, have had a very terrible situation happen to them and almost being like an advocate or, you know, doing your job, what you know how to do to help them get what they're trying to do. Right. So we're, we're going to talk more about that later after the break, but I, I definitely see that correlation. And before we do take the break, I want to talk about your other project here too. Tell me a little okay. bit about uh, about your website. Okay. So uh, when I retired from the FBI, I decided to become a, a private eye. So mm-hmm. um, the reason why mostly was because I wanted to continue doing what I loved, which was investigations. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't find a different, like, didn't, I didn't want to go into a corporate job. I didn't want that kind of structure. And so being a PI seemed to be the best fit for me. And I, I think it was a good decision. Right. Um, so not only did we start a PI company, I started with another uh, retired FBI agent, right. Charlie Bodwin. I don't mm. know if we can do that. Well, will you tell me. <laughs> Is that okay? Yes. Okay. Uh, absolutely, with Charlie. Uh, he's pivoting out, though, now. So mm. <clears throat> we're in a pivot mode with the PI company. Mm. But part, part of what Charlie and I did also was we started something called Secure FBI Directory. Mm-hmm. So what that is, is it, it's a small directory, about 150 people are in it. And they're all former agents who now do some kind of PI work or do referrals for PIs. Right. Um, so a lot of people are out there and get calls a lot, you know, mm-hmm. Hey, do you have somebody in Guam that can do a surveillance and they may not be a PI, but they may, you know, want to make those kinds of referrals. Yeah. So, um, so we operate that this is, we just published our fourth directory, fourth annual directory, and uh, we're building our team there. So, you know, it's something I I'm proud of. We built from scratch and, um, and we cover the globe in over 80 specialties. So it's kind of a cool little directory. That is neat. Yeah. Um, and I've actually, you know, we, we sponsor uh, the directory too, because I think that that's just an awesome idea. Um, and I, I and do, we're very happy to have yeah, you as a sponsor. Yeah. And likewise, right? You sponsored this program too, right? You scratch my back, <laughs> yes. I'll scratch yours. Um, so um, just having that access, I mean, you guys went through a pretty amazing career, right? So you've developed relationships and just being able to have that, that ability to tap into somebody where you know that they have the same training that you have and you know that they're going to do hopefully hopefully, the same job that you would do. Right. Um, So is that, that level level of comfort? uh, I think it's a great idea. I think it's really, really great. Um, So yeah, keep, keep doing that stuff. Yeah. Uh, You know, and it helps us too. I mean, part of why we, why we started that directory, because when I retired, there was one in existence and then they stopped doing business and we relied on them so much. So, I mean, in the last month I've used the directory. I have a case that's in New Jersey, Mm -hmm. but most of the interviews are going to take place in Atlanta and we wanted a female. So, yeah. you know, I went to the directory and uh, there are four 
people in the Atlanta area in the directory and one is a female. And so I called her and she's, you know, fabulous. Right. Oh, and then last week we had something in really rural Western Tennessee. And there were some people who covered that area Get too. Out of here, I mean, really? it's just, yeah, it's great. <laughs> you FBI folks, you just want to unplug and get away from everybody. <laughs> That's right. Especially when they retire. Either that or, or the, later in their career. They got a moonshine business on the side maybe, but uh, don't ask, don't tell. <laughs> That's know? right. That's why their rates are great too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about sexual assault and, and the investigator's role in that, uh, in the private industry and, and talk about, uh, you know, some, some ideas and some things you've come up with and, and that are out to market now, uh, which I think is really neat. So everybody sit tight and we will be right back. Reliable evidence, whether in the form of video, witness statements, open source research, is critical to success in litigation and alternative dispute resolution. For nearly 40 years, the legal, corporate, and insurance communities have placed their trust in Stumar Investigations to deliver secure intelligence and actionable results. Led by Stuart Drobny, Stumar offers investigative and litigation support services across a diverse set of practice areas, including insurance, business intelligence, intellectual property, telecommunications, and family law matters. Headquartered outside of Philadelphia, Stumar is licensed throughout the Mid-Atlantic States, Florida, and maintains a trusted network of global partners to handle the most complex of cases. Call 800-355-1199 or email info at stumarinv.com and reference PI Perspectives for a free consultation, training, or partnership opportunities. Visit stumarinv.com for more information. Are you overwhelmed with your current case load? Could you use some help with your skip trace assignments? With Merlin Locate Services, rather than adding staff, you can add an entire skip trace department of licensed private investigators who specialize in skip tracing. Check out MerlinLocate.com today. When you work with Merlin Locate Services, you bring on a valuable experience and trusted extension to your team. I want to talk to everybody today about ScopeNow.com. ScopeNow has been a big time sponsor of this program for quite some time. And I just love their service. I've been using them since the beginning. I'm one of their beta customers. And it's been so awesome to see them grow into the business that they are today and just how they just keep reinventing themselves and pushing themselves to get more and more information. What it comes down to is is ScopeNow is a tool that you definitely need to use if you do social media investigations, any internet research, and really spending less time digging around and and, uh, looking for information, I think is one of the best points of how ScopeNow can help you. Their AI platform, their analytics are amazing. You really get an idea of what you need. You're reducing the time, you're reducing the manpower that you're spending on doing this research because they're essentially doing it for you and uh, they're doing it correctly, which is most important. One of the new things that they're actually offering is this flagging system where you can flag behaviors and really highlight and um, look out for fraud. If you're doing a lot of fraud research, uh, this is a fantastic tool and you can set up alerts. So you have uh, particular people that you're looking at, you can actually set up alerts to get notifications when the criteria that you set up is actually um, is flagged and goes off. It's really, uh, really amazing. And their relationship and association analytics are uh, top notch. 
really uh, cutting edge and really, really cool. When they brought that out on version three, it was a game changer. I mean, really being able to see how people interact together and, and uh, you know, having that relationship, you know, analysis is really, really something that's cool. You know, one of the other things about being involved with Scope now is their ability to offer webinars. Their team is cutting edge on putting together and getting out really, really great content. If you're a member of Scope now, if you know who they are, you've seen them around on LinkedIn, you'll, you'll know that they're constantly doing webinars on these new websites that are coming out and uh, they're really staying on top of it. And don't forget, uh, any reports that you generate, you can actually white label those reports and put your own logos on and, and really make them look professional, which you know could equate to more billing for you as well. So check them out today. It's uh, www.scopenow.com. They're a great, great company. They should be one of the tools in your toolbox, along with whatever kind of uh, search engines you do. Uh, you need to make sure that ScopeNow is a part of that suite. ScopeNow.com. Have you heard about the Nally Conference on June 23rd through June 25th? Nally heads to San Antonio, Texas for the premier live conference event of the year. You don't want to miss this great opportunity, so visit Nally.com to learn more. N-A-L-I.com. And welcome back to PI Perspectives. This is your host, Matt Spare. We're here today with Jane Mason. Jane, how are you doing? Welcome back to the program. I'm doing great, Matt. Okay, so uh, before we jumped out, uh, we teased a little bit about this new project, this new thing you're doing, um, and it has to do with sexual assault and sexual assault cases. So during your time with the FBI, you definitely saw your fair share of evidence gathering for these types of cases. So walk me through a little bit what you got going on now and um, you know, how you got to what you're doing now. So the reason I started focusing on sexual assault, um, you know, I really only worked on one in the FBI because it's not a typically a federal crime unless there's some nexus to other, you know, another federal crime. And in a civil rights violation uh, case that I had, it did involve sexual assault. So, th but that was the only one. Um, and I can talk about that. But as I became a PI, I was hired by females only. I mean, this is a crime that affects everybody, but it just was coincidentally all females who hired me right. um, who had been sexually assaulted and needed help with one aspect or another of navigating the system. Right. Um, some of them had collected evidence and they weren't sure if it was being analyzed and they didn't know how to get in touch with the crime labs to find out. And they were also hesitant to be their, you know, a, a strong voice for themselves. Right. So, um, you know, I was able to help them get in touch with the lab and, you know, ask the right questions and get the evidence reports and ask the follow-up questions if the, you know, if something didn't seem thorough or or DNA profile hadn't been developed, you know, why, why not? You know, we're just trying to learn about this particular person's case. Sure. So a lot of the people who had come to me did not come forward right away early on after the sexual assault. And they did, so they did not have any evidence. Right. So those people decided to come forward later, like later being a couple of years after the crime had been committed. Right. And so as I got more and more involved with people like that, uh, you know, at the same time, there were news stories, you know, Christine Blasey Ford was one at the time. And, you know, it had been decades since um, the assault that she was talking about and alleging had happened. Right. I kept saying, you know, if, if these crime victims had saved their own evidence, you know, just on the chance that they might come forward in the future, right. then maybe they could corroborate 
allegations if yeah. they come forward not, later. Not everybody has a Linda Tripp friend that's holding on to things for you. Not everybody has a blue dress. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, E.G. and Carol has right. a black dress. Right. So, <laughs> so that, that remains to be seen. Stay right. tuned on that one. Right, right. Um, um, that's, that's exactly right. I use the example of Monica Lewinsky pretty yeah. often yeah. <laughs> because yeah. everybody knows that story, you know, and, um, everybody's familiar with the fact that she had it for months and months in her closet and the FBI really wanted that dress. Mm -hmm. Finally, they got the dress, analyzed the dress. And, you know, we have so many senators and, you know, people in Congress relying on the results of the DNA profile that was developed from, yeah. you know, the semen stain on that dress when it matched President Clinton. So, yeah. so uh, inter inter interesting side story on that. So a, a okay. good friend of mine, um, he worked down in Washington and he worked for a senator and he um, got access to that report before it was released. And he decided to come up to New York to, um, to visit me just for, you know, for the weekend or whatever. And he was on the train and he was reading it. Well, the, there was a guy sitting next to him who saw what it was. And he's like, Hey, what are you reading there? And they got to chatting a little bit and he didn't let the guy read it. Like he, he was, he was good in that way. But the, the guy sitting next to him owned a public relations company, which could have been a complete disaster had he let the guy oh, read it. Yes. But he, oh, yes. he, he was so impressed with my friend that he offered him a job. He's like, Hey, when you leave, when you leave Washington, come work for me. And that's exactly what my buddy did. And it, it turned into a really big job actually. Uh, so it was very random. And I got to say, he came up to New York. He wouldn't let me read the report. Yeah, it was very, very yeah. good. Yeah. It was very, very, good, very good. good of him. So Kudos to him. yeah. Yeah. So it's just <laughs> random. We're, you know, let's, you never know when you're, when you're on an airplane or, or uh, a train or whatever, and you're reading something, someone's looking over your shoulder. You got to be careful. It's true. You yeah. never, never know. Yeah. yeah. So collecting evidence, you identified this need for, for these victims on the private side to help them figure out how to, how to connect the dots here, essentially, right? Right. And so I did some research before I really did anything, um, just to see if something was already out there. Some, you know, I, I actually assumed that there were products out there that would help the civilian, you know, someone un, untrained mm. and potentially traumatized to keep their own evidence because, you know, if you weren't making a decision, a split second decision right then after the crime to have your evidence collected, you know, sexual assault, the evidence goes away very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, three to five days is a maximum in most jurisdictions right. that, you know, the evidence can be collected. So I did that research and I found that there's, there was no product out there at all. There were all kinds of products out there for other kinds of crimes and how, you know, to help people collect evidence in those kinds of crimes, but nothing for sexual assaults. So I did some more research and I found several criminal cases and civil cases in which the crime victim had collected um, a, an item of evidence right. and it was later upheld in court that it was admissible. Right. In, in fact, it wasn't even really questioned in most cases. It was just, you know, the victim had this item and so law I, enforcement. I got a, I got a question. Um, okay. So would you say that when you're getting hired here at this point, is it more that they're trying to, I guess, gather enough information for prosecutors to to possibly indict or is it more along the lines of now we want to have, have a civil case so is the work that you're investigating for is it more on a criminal uh, matter or more on a civil matter almost in all cases it's been on criminal matters okay. and i have had some cases where 
um, the cases weren't being prosecuted or even really investigated. So mm. sort of how to approach law enforcement and the prosecutors to to find out what they're thinking and and hopefully present them with some evidence that will turn their thinking and maybe maybe agree with us that it's a crime worth investigating and prosecuting. Right. So I've noticed a trend actually in the last year or two where uh, there have been some of the firms I do business with that are, are doing civil suits against people that have STDs. They like to have known STDs and they're knowingly transferring it to other people. Uh, Infecting people. Yeah, like random. It's, I've probably had like three. Uh, really? Yeah, in the last year or so. A very, very interesting uh, concept there, right? And how do you prove that somebody like knowingly infected something? Like, and it's like one of the people, they was all over the place. I mean, he if you look at his social media, that's all he was talking about. He was like obsessed with this thing that he had, you know, so he definitely knew he had it. <laughs> and, uh, right. you know, and uh, he unfortunately he, he did share that with somebody else. So very and those are challenging cases yeah. because then the victims have to prove who they've been with. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of private information is yeah. has to be provided. Right. Very difficult, challenging cases. So let's say... Um, somebody wants to get into doing this type of work. They, they share the same passion that you share uh, on, on sex assault cases. How do you begin as a private investigator in assisting family on, on gathering info for this? You know, it's, it's an interesting crime. Every single sexual assault is very, very different. So you have to be ready to triage uh, mm. an investigation and determine what's needed in every single case there's something different about it. Um, some people just simply aren't getting the attention that they need. Some people aren't getting justice that they need. Some mm-hmm. people aren't getting the crime lab to, you know, um, actually examine their rape kits. I'm sure you've heard of the you know, extensive backlogs of the yeah. rape kit yeah. analysis. So there are just so many issues with prosecuting um, sexual assault cases that each investigation is very, very different. The most challenging one I had involved um, the daughter of a friend of mine. So it's a a girl, woman I've known my whole, her whole life. And when she went to college, she was sexually assaulted as a freshman Mm -hmm. and she could not bring herself to tell anyone for two years. So two years later, and she didn't collect any evidence, but two years later, you know, she's trying to report the crime and she was having a really, really hard time. Mm. And the um, crime scene unit that she went to, you know, really sort of did a, a victim blaming kind of game with her. And it was really hard to watch that happen. You know, she was told I was on the phone with her with one detective who oh. said, you know, the perpetrator didn't use enough force to have you, uh, you know, claim uh, sexual assault or you didn't say no often enough, you know. Clearly that guy so doesn't have any daughters. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I know it's very, very hard to see women go, you know, yeah. any victim go through that. Yeah. So um, each case is very different, but you know, we can help as investigators. There are many other careers of people who work with sexual assault survivors yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, I, I would think that, you know, you, you almost, uh, have to have a degree in psychology <laughs> to take on that kind yep. of work, you know, yep. to be able Absolutely. to identify some things too. Um, you know, I could see that would be a heavy part of Absolutely. it. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm sure you've seen your fair share of, of different types of cases. So tell me a little bit more about this, this product, this thing that you came up with then that, that you're, you're offering to people to help them, um, you know, 
gather evidence? What does that look like? So once I knew that uh, evidence collected by a sexual assault survivor was admissible in court and, um, you know, had analyzed the chain of custody, potential chain of custody issues, um, you know, law enforcement starts a chain of custody typically. So, you know, as a law enforcement officer, when I got evidence from a crime victim, I started the chain of custody and I would know, okay, it came from Jane Doe crime victim, Mm. but I was the first person on the chain of custody. So once I had analyzed all those types of things, uh, we spent months and months and months putting together a kit that we felt was geared towards someone untrained in evidence collection and would, so somebody who is potentially traumatized and untrained would be able to collect their own evidence in a logical sequence and then you know, package it, seal it, and document it right. all well enough. So if they decided a week later or 50 years later to come forward with it, it would still be intact and in the best shape possible for, for the situation. Right. Okay. So um, we called it the preserve kit. We're no longer in business. <laughs> uh, we launched in August of 2019. Mm-hmm. And by September of 2019, I was receiving cease and desist orders from attorneys general uh, offices from various states because they felt that I was violating the consumer privacy laws. Right. They didn't have the kit, so they hadn't seen the kit mm-hmm. and they didn't know what was in the kit. Right. But um both on the website that I had for the kit and um, within the directions, I had so many disclaimers. Right. Uh, for example, I would say there's nothing that's going to guarantee that anything you collect is going to be admissible in court. Right. Uh, lots of disclaimers like that. And I did that because I know even as an FBI agent, nothing that I take from a crime scene, if I do everything perfectly there's no guarantee that it's going to be admissible. It's, it's human um, interpretation. I've seen that on, on any case I've been involved with where I've gotten called in to testify and something at the end of the day, it's a judge making a a call and it's not always going to be a guarantee. Like I've seen things where you would be surprised. Like how could anyone decide that? Well, it happened, you know, like I've seen many attorneys lose an unlosable case, you know, (laughs) Absolutely. <laughs> and I've seen uh, people like hit home runs on cases that it, they were just, you know, they had no business being in a, in a courtroom. Like it should have been summary judgment like out a long time ago. And, it, and it, you just never know. There's that human factor. So, right. Yeah, that's you never know. Yeah. I mean, I've seen some cases where um, evidence collected illegally was admissible. In one environmental crimes case that I mm. had, the uh, the samples had, were supposed to, you know, the samples were critical to our case right. because they showed PCBs were in this particular area. And the, um, the expert sampler from the environmental agency left the samples in his car for a while yeah. rather than bringing them straight to the lab where he could walk up somewhere. And he must be Ryan Braun's friend. <laughs> if you're a certain age, you understand what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he didn't have a fun day in court yeah. having to testify about that, but sure. that was admissible too. I mean, so you know, the judge makes the final decision. Yeah. Uh, the other reason why I felt it was so important to do this, uh, there's a forensic nurse named Julie Valentine, and she's based in Utah. Mm. Uh, she was on a different podcast, which is a very cool podcast. It's all about sexual assault, and it's called Surviving Justice. Okay. 
And uh, she was on a guest on there a while back. And she said that the majority of the rape kits that are done, so the, the rape kits done in the hospital, she said that most of them don't produce a DNA profile. Mm-hmm. So I knew if the professionals doing rape kits didn't you know, regularly come up with a DNA profile that, uh, that we'd have, you know, we as civilians would have a pretty decent chance of at least sure. once in a while getting a profile and getting some decent evidence. Right. You know, and uh, they, the cease and desist orders uh, also were a lot about, you know, don't give a survivor false hope. And I, I understand that totally. Uh, and to be sure, I do not want to, uh, lead anyone down sort of the garden primrose path to sure. a place of further disappointment. But I do think that sexual assault survivors and all crime victims need every possible hope. Mm-hmm. And I do think that this is something that they can do as far as saving their own evidence if they can't come forward right away to the yeah. hospital or to law enforcement. Yeah, that no, makes sense. So as a, an investigator looking into all this stuff, what do you think are some of the mistakes that somebody trying to do this stuff does they don't even realize they're doing when you're collecting evidence your own yeah evidence? yeah like let's say i'm i'm an i'm a, a, a pi somebody's hired me to look into a, one of these issues um you know an assault happened and and the family now wants to hire you or whatever what do you what would you say would be a mistake that uh an investigator would want to try and avoid maybe not doing something so a lot of the evidence is going to be on swabs mm-hmm. so if you're collecting um, a dry, dry bodily fluid, mm. you want to wet your swab very slightly, like with one or two drops of distilled or sterile water, hopefully, if you have that around. And uh, then you want to swab your the, the bodily fluid. So then the, the challenge is getting that swab to dry without having it touch any other surface right. before you package it. Mm-hmm. Because it has to be dried before it's packaged or else it will leak through your, and it has to be packaged in paper. Right. Plastic will, you know, degrade DNA. Right. So, uh, you know, you have to rig something up to let the swab dry. So you, you have to package everything separately. There are lots of evidence collection rules. Yeah, and, I'm sure. But I'm if sure. you, if you do stick with some of the basics, uh, you know, cross contamination yeah. and, uh, you know, one swab for one bodily secretion, um, bodily fluid, uh, you know, it's all fairly logical. So I do think someone untrained, if they have this, the steps written down, I think that they would be okay collecting their own evidence. I, I think you just triggered me with the, uh, procedures and all that. And I'm, I'm reflecting <laughs> back to the B that I got on my, on my paper <laughs> instead of the A. <laughs> Thanks, you Jane. Need to let that go. <laughs> <laughs> you just ruined the rest of my day. Thank you. <laughs> uh, you really need to let that go. I, I really do. I really it's, it's been it's been many years. Um, yeah, I joke about it, but that, that was actually probably one of the better things that happened to me because it, it was a lesson for me that hey, like you got to really razor focus when it comes to this stuff because the importance of it is is uh you know you get one ch- one chance you know if, if something's right. thrown out and how could i live with myself if something is thrown out because i didn't follow one little procedure but i know the end result of what i got would solve the case and prove what happened but because i didn't seal it a certain way it's not you know it, it creates reasonable doubt like i don't think i could live with myself <laughs> so it's uh well exactly it's you know and, and really the um 
you know, I hate, I hate to say the expression, but the devil is in the details, right? Yeah, so if you seal it properly and label it properly and document it properly and yeah. et cetera, you know, then at the end of the day, you have something that you can bring forward with you to corroborate what you're right. saying. Right. Absolutely. Okay. So we're going to wind down here. I really appreciate okay. you coming on. This was awesome. And uh, I, I love meeting different investigators. I mean, I know you, but I, I love introducing other investigators to people that do interesting things in our industry. And I think what you're doing is interesting and, and uh, your passion for what you do is really awesome. Um, so how do folks get a hold of you if they had more questions? So first, thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure to talk with you today. Mm -hmm. To get in touch with me, I have two websites and I'm on social media. So uh, the two websites, one is secureinvestigation.com, no S at the end of investigation. The other one is securefbidirectory.com. Mm -hmm. And then on social media, I'm JaneXFBI on most social media. I think except for LinkedIn, where I'm Jane Mason. Yeah, I think that JaneX. FBI was taken on LinkedIn, right? Probably. No, it wasn't. I don't know who that is. Imposter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to wind in here. Thank you, everybody, for tuning okay. in. Uh, we appreciate it. And we'll catch everybody on the next show. Take care, everyone. Thanks, Jane, for coming on and talking about these important topics. We appreciate your passion for helping victims of these horrible crimes. We also want to thank Crosstrack, Secure FBI Directory, Merlin Locate, Scope Now, Nally, and Stumar Investigations for sponsoring the show. Don't forget to check out investigatorstoolbox.com. You can join through the app available on iOS and Android platforms. You'll be able to access the whole site right from your smartphone. There's no better time than today to finally sign up for the site. For just 49 cents a day, you can take advantage of some great networking, training, and data resource management. So use code PIP201836 to save an extra $20. And if you have a question or comment about the show, just email Matt at MatthewS at SatellitePI.com. You can also find him on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. He'd like your feedback to bring you the best shows possible. And we'll be back on Monday with a new show. So make sure you tune in. And hey, leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts and a few kind words. Thank you and stay safe out there.